Amen. Well, thank you to our worship team. It's awesome. And especially to our children for leading us in that awesome song, wherever you guys are at. Thank you. So good. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas Eve. And it's good to see all your faces. Wasn't that fun today to have the, um, the time out in the front? I, uh, where's Andy Dana? Andy there with the baseball hat on. Thank you for your cold brew. Andy is a, a licensed, trained barista. And I don't know what he puts in that cold brew, but I had like three sips of it. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Let's go. You know, so like there's a lot of caffeine from what he tells me and, and a lot of sugar. So, uh, so thank you. And then thank you to our, our whole staff, our whole team who set up such a beautiful area out there and all the sweets and treats that are there for you. So I'm sure there are some left over for those of you that slipped in a little later. We'll have it out there so you can get your cinnamon twists too. But um, and this morning, it is our great privilege to be together on a Christmas Eve. I, I love it. Uh, you know, we've had uh, where Christmas falls on a Sunday or Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, and we just have church, right? Because that's part of our rhythm. I love it um, on Christmas Day. Um, Scott, I remember you showed up in, in uh, onesie pajamas last time. And it's me. I'm, I'm liking what you're wearing today. Uh, we say of Scott Britt, he can even make uh, pajamas look manly. And that is true. He's like Chuck Norris. But... Um, <laughs> It's true, Scott. It's true. <laughs> um, no, but today being Christmas Eve, it's just so appropriate that we could be together, that we could set the tone. I, I know that we had a lot of you here for the Christmas Eve, or it wasn't Christmas Eve, but it was a candlelight service on Wednesday evening. Wasn't that a beautiful time together? And um, there's something so breathtaking about this place full and, and the candles lit and just the reminder of who Jesus is as the light of the world and who we are as a result of who he is. And so this morning, I want to take us through um, some of, of what I shared on, um, on Wednesday and take us a little bit further in that. And if you, if you were with us, you might remember that it was about our yes, right? My yes. And um, before I get into that and recap it a little bit and share some other yeses that were in the Bible, um, I want to bring your attention to John chapter 1 and verse 14. And as we, we study through the book of John, which I don't know, it could be like, if, if we go this rate, we might be at Easter um, in the Easter story in John. I don't know. But I'm enjoying the, the pace and the time that we're spending in God's word, and, and I hope you are too. But um, we rewind a little bit to the first chapter, to this proclamation of who Jesus is. And it says in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, every time I hear that, I, I hear the message um, paraphrase or translation from Eugene Peterson where it says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, right? It, it's that, that, that this wonder of the, the prophecy from the Old Testament that his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. May that never get ordinary to us. That is extraordinary that Jesus became one of us and he's with us. And, and even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, right? He's with us. Uh, I heard somebody say it this week as I was, they were going through a difficult time. They say, I know that he'll never leave or forsake me, right? That even in my loneliness, he's with me. And he's with me and he understands me because the word became flesh and blood. And when he became flesh and blood, he became just like us. 
Um, he became like us in understanding the horrific, horrible things that happen in life, whether it's the, the pain of physical, um, in, enduring physical pain. Imagine what Jesus went through on the cross that he gets us, right? Whether it's the emotional trauma and the emotional pain that he went through, through things like constant slander, through gossip about him, through um, difficulties with his own family, not understanding him. I mean, not, nothing that we can relate to, right? He gets us. He understands us because the word became flesh, became flesh and blood, and dwelt among us. Oh, Alistair is here. Welcome, you guys. If you don't know this wonderful couple, their, their brand new baby boy graduated from NICU, right? He, he spent a few days in NICU, and praise God, he's doing well. Yeah. So good to see you guys, and so good to see him. Um, we prayed for you last week, and that's an answer to prayer right now. Here you are. It's just awesome, man. Um, and it says this about, about him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John, the eyewitness account. And I'm sure that if you were to stop and think about your relationship with God, you're an eyewitness account as well. How many of you can say you've seen the glory of Jesus in your life? Like you've seen it. You've seen it in those moments where only he came through and no one else could. And, and so you've seen his glory, the glory as of the, um, as of the only son from the father. And this line here, full of grace and truth. And when we covered this, um, I was reflecting back, but when we covered this several weeks ago now, I was just taken by the understanding that sometimes we can have like a whole lot of grace and not a lot of truth, Right? And, and in, the, in the world that we're trying to navigate now, it's a new world, man. And it requires grace. It requires grace for one another. It requires grace for the way that we even see ourselves because of God's grace. But if we only have grace and we don't have truth, boy, are we missing it, right? Grace is this unmerited favor from God. And we've received that through Jesus, the one who became flesh and blood for us. But Jesus models grace and truth in absolute perfection. And may we also, as we grow to be more like Christ, understand what it's like to be full of grace and full of truth. And you don't have to give up one for the other. Isn't that awesome? That I think there's so much in our, in our Christian life that, that we think it's one way or the other, but you can hold both at the same time. That you can hold grace and you can hold truth. And may God give us, in this coming year, the ability to hold both really, really well. To not compromise one for the other, but in Christ that we would walk in grace and truth. And so if you were, again, with us at the, um, the candlelight service, we talked about um, several people in the Christmas story, and, and I love to read the Christmas story. I almost don't like to call it the Christmas story because you could think that it's a story, not a historical account. It is a story, but it's a true story, right? And when you understand it as a true story, your imagination becomes to run wild with knowing that there's more than just the nativity scene version of, of Christmas, and that is a significant one. It's no doubt hugely significant that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, no room in the inn. He finds himself lying in a, in a manger in swaddling clothes with his, his mom and his dad. And, uh, you know, you can go through the historical accuracy of the shepherds and the wise men being there at the same time. We'll save that for another, uh, another gathering. Go ahead, do a wild Google search on that. But, but the point is, there were all these people that were involved in the story. And even before you get to the nativity, you have, um, uh, in Luke's account, 
Zechariah, right? You remember Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. Zechariah is not only a priest, but it's his turn to offer sacrifices in the temple on behalf of the people. And when, you, when we talked about this on Wednesday, we said the fact that as he gets into that holy place to offer sacrifices for the people, he's in for a surprise. And let me tell you something. When you get into holy places, it's often a surprise. You can't predict what God is going to do in your life because God is unpredictable, because he's God. And what it requires for us is to have this posture of openness to what he wants to do in our lives, that we're not, we're not the, the drivers, right? That yes, we have responsibility over our lives, but there's something so wonderful to know that God is in control and that he has a plan so much higher than ours. And usually his plan for us blows our mind. Usually his plan for us makes us a little bit nervous. And so often his plan for us makes us so nervous that we can say no to it instead of saying yes to it. And so when we, when we see Zechariah, he gets in there, he, he encounters the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel tells him that his wife, who is quite old, is going to have a baby. He says a lot of detailed questions, that whatever those questions were, the result was a discipline from the Lord. Because it seems as though his questions were more about controlling the moment and trying to figure it out. And the angel of the Lord just goes, Bloop, shuts his mouth, and he has a long season of quietness. He cannot speak until this boy is born. And what the, the message from that angel was that you're going to have a son named John, and he's, he's really special. His name's not going to be Zachariah. His name's going to be John. It's not going to be named after you. I have a plan for him. And so he goes through the pregnancy. Another, message, another messenger comes to Mary, right? And we talked about this, that Mary, this young woman, and we have to really put ourselves in her shoes, that she's engaged to be married, we know from historical um, understanding that she's quite young, right? In her early teens, more than likely. And she receives a message from the angel, and, and hers is not a lot of questions. She asks some, but somehow the result of her questions is not silence, it's blessing. The result of her questions is that, that she um, comes to a conclusion and the conclusion is so beautiful because what she says is, I'm the Lord's servant. Be it as you want, basically. Let the word of God be fulfilled through me. Man, what a great posture for us to take away at, at Christmas time, right? The reminder that whatever God wants to do, I like this statement. I like to live this way, but I can't say that I always do. But by God's grace, my heart in obedience, I want to be one who says, it's yes before you even ask. Can we say that? It's yes before you even ask. That seems to be the heart posture of Mary, right? It's like, she asks, like, how's this going to be? But it's yes before you even ask. I'm the Lord's servant. Another wonderful heart posture. We talk a lot about identity, right? And I think a very safe identity for us. We can try to find identity in a lot of things. But it's very safe biblically to understand that your identity is child of God, right? That you're accepted and loved, by God, he's your perfect father. And the second part of that identity is you're his servant. And being his servant isn't a bondage, it's a blessing. That, that you, you might look at it this way, like you get to serve God. You get to serve the plans and the will of God. And so Mary seemed to understand that and hers was an absolute yes. We know from Matthew that Matthew's recording of the gospel, or I'm getting ahead of myself. This is all free review, by the way. Um, this isn't even the message yet, so... Uh, if you're not taking notes, don't feel guilty. Um, <laughs> but but for, um, for the next 
person in the, in the story or the account of, of Jesus' birth is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, the one who was advanced in age. She was an older adult. She finds um, herself pregnant with child, which is 100% miraculous. And in her response, and, and, and this really gripped me as I read it this time, her response when, um, when she's pregnant with child, she's available for her niece, Mary, right? Her niece, Mary, comes to her quickly when she's with child. She's carrying the Messiah. And there's a supernatural thing that happens when the two of them see one another. Um, Elizabeth, it, it says that she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as she's filled with the Holy Spirit, she encounters Mary. And when, when, when like the... the Something in the womb does something else in the womb. And those of you who've carried babies know what it's like when you feel your child leaping in the womb. My firstborn just turned 20 years old. My beautiful Kate. And, and, and I remember when Rochelle was pregnant with her, that was like one of the fun things. Like you're reading about all the different stages and phases. And then when they start getting active, you know, you're pushing your, your hand in there and you're feeling a foot or a leap or whatever else. There was something that happened inside of Elizabeth's womb when she saw Mary. And the choice that she made, her yes, was that in that moment, what she did was she blessed Mary. She affirmed Mary. She said, wow, how is it that I'm so fortunate that that I'm here with the mother of my Lord, right? Something about that. And what we said on Wednesday was that's a, a, a reminder for us in a season to be those that bless, right? Do not underestimate the power of blessing. Do not underestimate the power of your words to somebody else. In the world that we live in, we so often anticipate sarcasm. We so often anticipate someone picking out something negative in a joking kind of way. It's just sort of what we're defensive towards. It's almost so much so that when someone says something with clarity and truth and blessing, you're just like, whoa. Have you ever experienced that? Like true affirmation. And realize that you, like Elizabeth, can say yes to that all day long. When you see it, when you see something in somebody, especially if you're older and you see it in a younger person, speak it out. Speak out that blessing. And, and for Mary, it seems that, that she took great comfort in that. I can only imagine that she did. And, and the next person that said yes was her, her husband-to-be, Joseph. Joseph gets a message in a dream as well that it's okay to take Mary as his wife He was a good man, and his intention was to divorce her quietly. It was a part of the culture that he could do that. But instead, he said yes to a huge risk. And and, and stay with me, because I'm going somewhere with all of these yeses. Can you even imagine for this young man, or I don't know culturally what age he actually was, but can you imagine the risk that he took where clearly she was pregnant, and clearly the story was un unfathomable to the average person. It would be like, yeah, right. But he's like, nope. This is, she's with me. She's my bride. And the result of of his yes that, that we talked about on Wednesday was that his yes meant that Jesus had an earthly father. Huge. He had the, the upbringing from Joseph. The result was that Mary had a covering and had a partner for life. Can you imagine this young woman being in it alone? Some of you know what that's like. She wasn't in it alone. She had the partnership of of Joseph in a marriage that was ordained by God, that no matter what the rest of the world said, they knew that they were right with God and right with one another, and there's something really powerful about that. 
The, the next yes came from um, Zachariah, who once said no. And that was kind of my punchline to, sun, to Wednesday, excuse me. That even if you've said no to God, even if you've said no to salvation or no to the gospel, but yet there was something in your heart that you knew was a yes, but you couldn't bring yourself to it at that moment. Maybe there was a spiritual battle, something beyond what you can even explain or understand was going on internally. Just because you said no to God doesn't mean that you can't say yes. You need to hear that. That just because you said no to him five years ago doesn't mean you can't say yes today. That might be in relation to your own salvation story, but I want to say on another level of, in, of following the will of God in your life, of steps of obedience, of maybe something that's sort of lingering over you of like, I know I'm intended to do this. God wants me to, but I've, I've said, no, that's too big or no, that's too uncomfortable. Zachariah had a long time to think about his no. And when it came time for John the Baptist to be born, he was born. And when the baby came, they went to name the child, and they said, Zachariah, right? And Elizabeth says, no, John. And they're like, you, you really? Your husband's named Zachariah. You don't get to play with names here. It's Zachariah. They say, where's the dad? He'll know the right answer. They find Zachariah, who's nearby. And I don't know if he has like a chalkboard or what he has, but he writes on something <laughs> It's John, right? Like, I think at this point, I don't know if it was this way, but I, I imagine him feverishly scribbling on that thing because he knows, man, I've been sitting in my no for so long, I want it to be a yes. This season might be your season for yes to Jesus, and so he gives his emphatic yes. His name is John, and what happens with obedience? You're gonna see it in this next part of a yes. With obedience comes joy. With obedience comes joy and, be, and comes freedom as well. And the freedom over that was the, he can talk again. His, his speech is restored to him. And so in context to all those things, can I have you look at Luke chapter 2 and starting in verse 1. This is the story of the birth of Jesus according to Luke. And, and the, the people that I want to focus on in the story are, are the shepherds. And then two people who don't get a whole lot of mention. Um, Simeon. And Anna. You familiar with Simeon and Anna? I don't know if they show up in, in your nativity scene or not. But um, th these are two people who, are, who said yes to him also. So I'm look at the shepherds. I'm going to look at Simeon. And I'm going to look at Anna. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, In those days there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, the place of bread, right? That's what that means. And Jesus later declares what? I'm the bread of life. There's a lot of nuggets in there. And can I just tell you, um, take this stuff and go back and look deeper. The Bible is full of such amazing truths. But we read on and it says that... Um, he went to Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and she laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the end. 
Now enter the shepherds, right? I love the shepherds, right? Because the shepherds represent to me hardworking people who get very little recognition, but you can't live without them. The shepherds are working when everybody else is sleeping, right? The shepherds are working in conditions where most people are hiding from. So they're out in the, in the chilly weather at night. They're sleeping in places where they're awoken because maybe a predator wants to come and, and get after one of their sheep, and so they have to wake up quickly and vigilantly take care of it. Shepherds are heroic in the Bible. In fact, the Bible even says of Jesus that, that he's the great shepherd of the sheep. John calls him the good shepherd. And so when I see shepherds, I, I pay attention. And these shepherds are the first ones who get the, the message of the birth of Christ. Maybe because the Holy Spirit knew they would do something about it. You know, maybe, maybe it was because he, 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 God knew as he looked, like, who, who are the ones I can trust? I can trust these hardworking ones, right? I can trust these, these ones who are willing to do the stuff for others that no one probably gives them much credit for. And it says in that same region there were shepherds and they were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. We have the stories and the children did a really good job explaining the stories to us as they sang. But can I just ask you in your imagination to go there for a minute? It's nighttime, you're there, you hear an angel, and you feel the glory of God shining around you. The way that we can understand the glory of God in a Hebrew word is like the weight of God, right? That's a good way to say it, right? You just can feel heavy with God. Would you be afraid? I think I would. I think I'd be like, what's going on? I started thinking about fear, you know, and what fear does and, um, and what fear keeps us from. And, and let me tell you something about fear. Like, I think we can, we can look at, at fear. There's some good fear. We've talked about this before, that God made you with a kind of a, a mechanism to know when something is dangerous. You can feel it internally. You know you get near something like you know, you get near the heat of a flame and you know intuitively you probably shouldn't touch it. You maybe learn as a kid that if you accidentally do or you, whatever, it's like, whoa, that burns. You shouldn't touch that. So you have a, a, a healthy fear of those things. Fear in an emergency situation can also be good too because it releases adrenaline, right? It gives you the ability to, to do what you couldn't do in strength on your own. That's the stories that you hear in these emergency situations where, you know, a mama bear, like mama bear, like, a, like lifts a car to, you know, help a child free or something like that, right? This adrenaline that, that releases, that's part of the process of fear. And so we see that God's built it into us for a reason, but there's some real negative parts to it. And how many of you uh, remember this phrase in the Bible, fear not? Yeah, do not fear. Do not be afraid. I think there was a, a Facebook rumor going around that it says it 365 times once for every day of the year. Um, but upon further review, this is not true. But it does say it in the Bible. It does say it in the Bible more than 70 times. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Because some of the fears that we have that are unhealthy fears keep us from the will of God. These shepherds seem to have the ability to work past the fear, right? That, um, and, and I think what we learn from them is they said yes in spite of fear, like in spite of fear. 
They said yes, and fear didn't keep them. Um, I, I put in my notes that fear's favorite word is no. Fear's favorite word is no. If you're uncomfortable with something, no. If you're challenged with something, no. It's the immediate no. And the reason that we say that no is like to somehow protect ourselves because we want to live a happy and joyful life. But is the, the irony of the whole thing is the yes is what really brings the joy and the fulfillment. Is this making any sense? Is your coffee like, have you gone from the high point? Of, I was afraid when I drank the cold brew that it'd be like, and then somewhere partway through, I'd be like, whoa, I'm calming down. So I don't know if you're doing that right now. But. So fear is a natural um, it's, it's natural to our flesh, and its purpose is to keep us from harm, but if it rules us, it keeps us from joy. So fear is a natural part of our body. It's designed to, to keep us from harm, but if it rules us, it keeps us from joy. It's a, it's a cruel master over our lives, the anxieties that come crippling us from doing actually the will of God. And so in verse 10, the angel of the Lord says to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Beyond your fear is good news and great joy. Joy is okay in and of itself to me, but I can only imagine like great joy is better than just joy, right? Than standard joy. I'll take standard joy any day of the week, but great joy. I've got really good news. Verse 12 says, For unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And I like this. Verse 13. It goes from one angel talking to a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. What would that have been like? I mean, you're already kind of feeling the glory of God here in an angel, and then all of a sudden it breaks into this massive choir of angels glorifying God. Our penance here is a glory and honor in the season of just, and even when we were singing that worship song, that's what I was envisioning, that worship song, Glory in the Highest, as we're singing it. You guys are singing it loud. Imagine this host of angels singing it. The result led them to a, a yes, and it, result, it led them to a risk that followed it. In verse 15 it says, the angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, what do we do now, right? <laughs> when you, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but can you imagine like all that, they're gone, and it's like, what do you do with that? It reminds me sometimes of what like you can do in a, maybe in a, in a church service or a worship night or something where, man, you just experience the presence of God. You're, you're, you're listening to God's word, you're, you're hearing steps of obedience, and something happens like, when it's done, the lights come back on and you go back about your day. And how many, and you don't have to raise your hand and say, yes, I can say it in my own life where I've made like deep commitments while I'm sitting there and listening and I forget them by the time I get out to my car. So, so in this moment, the angels have departed and the first thing that they say, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And I like this in verse 16. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. They sought Jesus. This is significant because it's a real story, and so for shepherds to leave their flock is a big deal, right? They don't, they don't just leave them, but they took a risk. They left what they knew to seek after Jesus. 
and they went with haste to find him. That took a lot of courage. It took a lot of courage. Their yes to do that, though, I believe, um, played a huge part in continuing to confirm to Mary and Joseph that they were on the right track. The goodness of God when you take steps and risks, uh, risk obeying him is that he walks with you. And when you take these big risks, isn't it awesome to know that someone who maybe not even knowing you're in the middle of a risk comes and says something that affirms what you're doing or really helps you confirm that you're in the right direction? I think that this is part of the shepherd's role in this moment. And so when they found Jesus, it says they made known the saying that they had been told concerning the child. They brought this good news, right? They brought it. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But listen to this line. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It was like, I, I don't know what that moment looked like, but, but I could just imagine a, a bunch of shepherds together, like recalling the story. And then like these, this angel came and was talking, and then like more angels came, and this voice came, like they're recalling it. And, 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 and the people around Jesus, they, they had to be going like, no way. Like it did? But then you have this picture of Mary just treasuring these things that were said that would really help her understand what it would take to, to be the mother of Jesus in the long term. By the way, just historically, and maybe you, you might want to go back and, and look at this later, but historically, the shepherds, that um, their, their job was obviously to raise sheep. And part of what they needed sheep for was sacrificing, right? And so it's very possible that the sheep in their flock were the very sheep, some of them, that would be used to sacrifice. So now think of the significance of this. They don't need to be with them right now because behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, that the sheep was born. That's huge, right? You can see this shepherd theme throughout. John plays it on even further in John 10 where Jesus is declared the good, the good shepherd, right? And so... Um, we read on, and, and I'm coming in for a landing here. It says that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and all that had been told to them. I, I, if you take anything away from today, maybe a, a Christmas present for you, if you take anything away, please take this away, that when you obey, when you respond and even take a risk, when you overcome a fear, in order to do what God's called you to do, there's a blessing that comes to it. There's a result at the end. I can only imagine, like, as they, they saw themselves as these messengers that got to come and, 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 and see witness before their eyes the very thing that the angels had declared was going to happen. They get to see Jesus. They were the ones that heard for the very first time, and then they confirm it with their own, their own experience. But when I read it this time, I kept thinking about what their walk away was like, right? So now it's like, okay, I did what I was supposed to do. And now they walk away. Their walk away is glorifying and praising God. How many of you can think back in some of the big risks that you've taken for God and the joy that follows it? Isn't it interesting that the reason we don't do it is because we want to have some kind of joy in our lives, but the irony of the fact that the very thing that will give us joy is the obedience? We self-protect ourselves. I don't want to do it. It's too risky. But what you really want, what you really desire in your life is found through obedience. And obedience produces 
glorifying, worshiping God, joyful expressions because there's something special about knowing that you've pleased the heart of God and the shepherds had that experience. And so those were their yes. Their yes brought joy to their lives, but their yes brought confirmation to Mary. Their yes brought a a sense of peace, no doubt, to all that was going on. But there are two last people and I'm just gonna tell their story really briefly. Simeon and Anna, right? Simeon is an older man, and we we read about him in the the remainder of Luke chapter 2. Simeon, um, we don't know how old he is. Uh, Tradition says he's 113 years old, right? That's just a tradition. It's possible. There were many people in the Bible that outlived what our common um, life expectancy is. But the point of the matter is, is he was old. And he he was old, and he had been in his dialogues with God, basically saying, hey, and and really receiving from the Lord this understanding that I'm not going to move on. I'm not going to pass away until I see the Messiah. And his term for the Messiah was the consolation of Israel. That term, consolation, can can you think of, of even how the Holy Spirit is said to us to be the comforter, right? The consolation of Israel is the term for Messiah, the one who would bring comfort, the one who would bring a new day, the one who would bring a messianic hope, right? I, I always think of Metis Yahoo, that song, one day, one day, if you know that song, one day we're going to be free. So you're, you're, that, that, that's like a, <laughs> that, that's a, um, a declaration in a, in a more current song of, of somebody who's wrestling through their faith and still anxiously waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the hope of the Messiah. Now, here's one who's like, nope, in my day and in my time, I'm going to see with my own eyes the consolation of Israel. And he sees when Jesus is brought to be presented at the temple, he sees the child and he picks up the child and he speaks over the child and he declares that this is the one. His yes of affirming what God had done. And, 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 And then you have another lady whose name's Anna. We know Anna's 84 years old from scripture. She's a widow. She's devout. And her life has been spent, and you can read this right in scripture. I'm not imagining it or making it up, but her life is spent in fasting and prayer and anxiously waiting. She's someone so special, so, so close to the Lord because of her disciplines and her love for him. And, and she has a prophetic gift, which means that she's able to, to speak the very heart of God. There are are many others in the Bible, and namely some women in the Bible who have this prophetic gift. And so here she sees and she declares prophetically to everybody who he is. So in other words, one is like, Simeon is like, my yes is like, it happened. This This is the Messiah. The consolation of Israel is here. The one who came to bring shalom or the peace of God Jerusalem, Salem, in that word is that idea of peace. Not just like, like we said before, like peace, man. Not like that, but like that you're, like it is well as God intended it to be. This is what Messiah came to do. This is what a whole nation longs for now. I can only imagine in the nation of Israel today, perhaps just like a, a blindedness to, to the Messiah that's there, but a reality to, the, to strife and to the war and to the pain. Can you imagine this gift that's already here? And you have two parts. One, 
an older man who's saying, this is the consolation of Israel. And then two, an older woman who says, yes, it is. This is what we've been waiting for. And I'm taking that message to anyone and all who will hear. That's what Anna did after that. She, could, she couldn't help herself but to bring the good news. These are their yeses. Every single yes significant. Yes from the shepherds to be the, the bringer of uh, confirmation to Mary and, and Joseph. Yes to the shepherds, their, their yes to overcome fear and to do something uncomfortable. Maybe in this year to come, that's part of your application. Not that you would walk in anxiety. I think I grew up as a Christian just going, oh, if I say yes to this, I'm going to get shipped off to some foreign land. You know, it's going to be uncomfortable. Maybe. Maybe all he wants you to do is go knock on the door and talk to your neighbor. Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll find that, that the yes for you is, is pursuing a whole new avenue in your life that will bring you such contentment and joy. Because remember, he's your father and he loves you and he knows how you were made. So he doesn't mess with you. He doesn't just throw out like hard stuff for you to do just to see if you'll do it. But he does ask you to do what's impossible to you. Because you need to do it through him. Does that make sense? So maybe this year is an is a overcoming fear. It's just like the shepherds did. And it's a yes to him. Maybe this year is, is a, a contentment and a peace. Just like Simeon to know, okay, man, it's well with my soul. I receive fully the consolation of Israel. The Messiah that has come to set me free from my fears. To set me free not only from what I feel in this moment but to set me free from an eternity of separation from God. One who has brought the salvation of my soul. Man, may God do a work in your heart if you're on the fence about following Jesus and may Simeon's yes speak to you. And finally, Anna's yes. May her yes also speak to you. One who is diligent about pursuing the heart of God, close to his heart, and, and, and able to prophetically speak to people who need to hear the message. That's what I got for you this morning. And, and I pray that that will minister to you. I don't know if we, do we have our video? We don't have our video, but next week we will. Um, <laughs> can, can we all stand together? And I want to invite our, our worship team to come back up. We're going to end our, our service with a, Tidings of good news of great joy. And, and as you hear the proclamation of joy to the world, um, just as we did on Wednesday night, will you ponder what your yes is this year? Will you ponder what your yes is today? And, and maybe it's just a posture before God that by God's grace, it's yes before he even asks. And I got to tell you that even as I say that out loud, I, I, I feel the fear of God in my life, right? Like I, I know that that's a heavy thing to, to, to say. It's a heavy posture to be in. But everything I read from scripture and everything I see in the Christmas account tells me that the yes to him is joy for others and joy for me. It's my joy to serve him because like Mary, I want to be able to say, I'm the Lord's servant. Be it as unto you, like let your will be done. Amen? So as you sing joy to the world, um, man, think about your yes, and, uh, and let's proclaim it. Would you guys lead us? Sing joy to the world. Joy 
with joy and be led forth with peace. Man, Merry Christmas and God bless you all.
Joy to 